This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. So the hedge funds and money managers have filed their 13 Fs for the second quarter, which, as we all know, was the pandemic quarter. So this is exciting. We've all been waiting to find out who is buying what and selling what. And just a reminder, the 13 Fs must be filed within 45 days after the end of the quarter by the money managers. And those are those who have 100 million or more under management. So it's not like the real small guys have to do it. It's mainly bigger guys. And this is how we find out what people like Warren Buffett are doing with their portfolios. And that's how we check in with Berkshire Hathaway every quarter. So with the coronavirus sell-off happening during the quarter, what moves did Buffett make, if any, to the portfolio? That was gonna be the big question, right? There was a lot of headlines about his buys and sells this quarter when the 13F came out because the portfolio, for the first time, bought a gold miner. But to me, the bigger story really was his sells, especially among the financials. Now, we already know he sold off all of his airlines immediately because he disclosed that at the annual meeting that those, he called up all the, the, the two lieutenants and said, we're getting out of everything. So they got out of Delta, United, American, and Southwest. And that was 100% just get out. And they did take a loss on all of those uh, shares. But I complained for several years that there was no reason for the portfolio to own four different airlines. They're all in the same industry. Yes, some have different routes and different management, a little bit different financials. Some go overseas. Some are, you know, kind of domestic only, although Southwest isn't purely domestic anymore because they do go to Mexico and the Caribbean. But the whole group of them move up and down pretty much together. And that is what happened this time. They were doing okay while the economy was doing well and energy wasn't so crazy. And then they all collapsed at the same time when the coronavirus hit. So why own four of them? I've said this for a long time. You could get the same exposure with just owning one, maybe two, or you can justify owning the two by saying, you know, you own something like Hawaiian Airlines and then you own like a Copa, which is based in Panama and does like Central and South America. You could make a case that geography and things gave you a little bit different exposure with a couple of them, but four of them and all U.S. airlines, I didn't really see the case of that. So, but the good news is he's completely out of them and that is done. But the same kind of situation has developed in his financial holdings. So over the years when I've done a show on Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio, at least a couple times, the financials within the portfolio were at least 50% of the overall portfolio. And I think at one point they were as high as 55%. So they've been mainly overweighted on the financials for years. And among those financials are some of the biggest banks in America, and he's owned big positions in those. So he's owned shares in Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and JP Morgan out of the three out of the four. Only Citigroup is missing. So when I look at that list, it just reminds me of what he did with the airlines. He owned the three big 
international legacy carriers and then the one kind of uh, more lean, you know, more pure domestic one. But why? Why own all of them? And here, why own three out of the four? I'm actually kind of surprised he doesn't own Citigroup as well and just go for all four. Now, he also owns a whole bunch of big regional banks among his financials, including PNC Financial, ticker PNC, Bank of New York, BK is the ticker there, M&T Bank, MTB is the ticker, and U.S. Bank Corp, USB. And then he also did own shares in Goldman Sachs, which he's owned since the financial crisis, and um, that's ticker GS. But we did discover he sold out of the Goldman Sachs during this quarter. So, but he still has the positions in the banks, and he um, has been reducing them in this quarter. And that was what was interesting to a lot of people because it's been a long time since he's actually done a substantial reduction in the financials. He has, even in just in the last two years, been adding to the financials and including new stocks. So in this quarter, he sold out of seven stocks completely. He reduced holdings in 11. And then he just had the one new purchase, which was the gold miner. So finance now has been reduced in the portfolio to just 32% of the overall portfolio. But that's also because information technology in the portfolio, which basically is Apple here, has surged and is now 44% of the overall portfolio. Now, remember, Apple shares have doubled in the past two years, and it is his largest holding. So if you have a big holding in Infotech and it doubles, it's going to make up a bigger share now. So does this mean that Buffett is given up on the banks or is this just sensible portfolio management? So he had, let me recap again, um, one, two, three, um, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight banks. He has other financials too, which I've covered before that I'm not going to go into. Um, but that that's a lot of exposure to the same industry. And they're all going to have basically the same response to the economy and to monetary policy. Now, granted, some have uh, slightly different interests. The big banks have trading and some international exposure in some cases. Some banks have more exposure to mortgages than others. Some may have slightly different um, exposure to areas like in real estate than some of the others, but they're all in the same industry. And like the airlines, you know, they're all basically going to move kind of together <laughs> at the same time. So he owns 10% of Bank of America now, and it did make up 10.85% of the total Berkshire portfolio in the second quarter. But he has been reducing a whole bunch of the other big banks, and that's what was interesting. So Wells Fargo, he's owned for many, many years, and that used to be one of his favorite banks, but he reduced that position by 26% to just 3% of the total portfolio from 5.28%. That's a significant reduction in his Wells Fargo holding to down to just 3%. Um, again, he's owned that one since 2001. 
He also reduced significantly JP Morgan. That was almost 3% of the portfolio and now is just 1% as he sold 61% of that position. PNC Financial also reduced by 41%, now down to 0.28% of the total portfolio from a half a percent before. And both of those positions are relatively new. They were only added in the third quarter of 2018. So not even two years old and already reducing positions there. And part of the reason is, and we don't totally know because of course there's no commentary to what these moves have done until he has an annual meeting or goes on Squawk Box and gets asked questions about it. But all we know is he was overweighted in the financials and now a bunch of the banks have been sold. A couple of the other ones that he reduced positions were in Bank of New York, the BK, M&T Bank, MTB, and U.S. Bank Corp, USB, and then sold completely out of the Goldman Sachs position. But that one was really small already in the overall portfolio. So they just decided we can't really reduce that one until we reduce it to zero. So they just got out altogether. So diversification is important especially in times where certain types of uh, events are hitting an industry as a whole. <laughs> and if you're overweighted in that industry, then it's really going to hit your overall portfolio. So many of these banks just aren't working right now as investments. And yes, Warren ha has a super long time horizon. Again, he's owned some of these banks for almost 20 years now and some of his other positions even longer. But if you're overweighted in it, you know, even patience isn't going to help you. <laughs> he already has a 10% position in just Bank of America alone. And if you add in the what was their prior positions in the other two big banks that he also owned, it was nearly 20% of the portfolio in just those three banks. So that's really been reduced. So even just his exposure to the biggest banks are now not nearly as great because he just has 1% of JP Morgan and Wells Fargo is down to three, so that's just four. So now he's at 14% of the total portfolio in the three big banks. And I would not be surprised to see further reductions in some of those. Now, he's not really going to miss out on any upside when the banks finally are in favor because he still owns a considerable position in them. So that Bank of America is going to rebound You know when some of these other ones rebound as well. So you're not really missing out. That's what I mean by owning, you know, a heavy concentration in very similar companies in the same industry. It's not it's not the greatest diversification method. Um, so let's talk a little bit about diversification, about the one new addition that he did add. That is Barrett Gold, ticker G-O-L-D. Everybody was all up in arms because I think it's the first gold miner he's ever bought. I don't know, maybe he bought one in the 1970s or something way back in the day, the last time gold was hitting new highs. But it's been a long time. And uh, Buffett is not a believer in gold, like as an investment to own gold. But that is not what he did here. So don't listen to the people that being like, oh, he's a hypocrite because he bought some gold when he was like against it all these years. He didn't buy gold, he bought a gold miner. It's very different idea and concept, okay? Because he bought a company that owns land upon which there are gold and copper and silver mines and they extract the gold. That is the business. 
he's buying the earnings of that business. It's no different than owning Occidental Petroleum, which he did own, but he sold out as well in the second quarter, ticker OXY, on the oil side. He wasn't buying crude contracts. He was buying an exploration and production company that is extracting gold or oil and nat gas out of the ground and selling it. So both have earnings and both are extracting the commodity and hoping that the cost they or the price they get for selling that commodity outweighs their operating costs and that's how they're going to make their money. So Barrick's I took a deep dive, uh, not a deep dive, a semi-look at Barrick because it's the Zach's number one strong buy right now, which a lot of the gold miners are. Those earnings estimates are on the increase because, no surprise, gold is at record highs over 2,000. It's once again retaken the 2,000 level here. It needs to get to around 2,700 to be an actual all-time high inflation adjusted compared to the 1980 highs back in the day. But um, just on a pure high level, it's back at the new highs right here around 2000. But with gold at new highs, of course, what is this doing to the earnings of the gold miners? They are up and the analysts are having to raise the estimates again. That's why we're getting a lot of good Zach's ranks. The rankiness is working with the gold miners. So barracks sales are expected to rise 25.6% year over year this year and earnings expected to be up 80.4%. So the Zach's consensus estimate for this year is now at 92 cents a share and that's up from 79 cents just 60 days ago. And one analyst has even raised in the last week now here getting it even more bullish. It made just 51 cents in 2019. Also, analysts are bullish about next year, expecting these gold prices to hold on at these high levels. They're looking for $1.15 in 2021. That's up another 25.9% on earnings growth. Now, the PE on Barrick is actually high. It's um, at 32, and year-to-date, the shares are up 57%. So the earnings are lagging a bit on what the... Um, the street is now expecting things to happen with the miners. But there's some other miners that also have good Zach's ranks that are much cheaper on a PE level. But Barrick is not one of those at 32. But I'm still expecting the earnings estimates to continue to rise here for maybe several more quarters in a row. We don't know. But if the price of uh, gold stays elevated or continues to move higher here, they will benefit. So. We don't know where Berkshire got into the shares in the second quarter, but in March of this year, shares were down 15%. And then they started to rise a little bit off that, and then they were off to the races and now are up 57. So Barrick in the second quarter had some real good numbers. This is again, why all the analysts are raising their estimates. So free cash flow in the quarter was 522 million their debt to net of cash was down 25% to just 1.4 billion. And they also had a strong uh, extraction and strong quarter in copper, which copper prices have made a turnaround. A lot of the big gold miners also extract in several of the other metals. All the other metals are higher right now on the metal prices. So they're all basically cashing in on that as well. 
So given all this free cash flow, Barrick, like several of the other gold miners, raised its dividend in the quarter. They raised it 14% to $0.08 cents a share, and that gives a current yield of 1%. But keep in mind, some of these gold miners weren't paying any dividends only a year ago. But now with gold on the move, they're able to do so. So expect probably further dividend increases as Barrick is shareholder friendly and um, will pay it back because what else are they going to do with it, right? So why Barrick? A lot of questions being asked about that. We won't know until uh, Mr. Buffett is on CNBC and someone asks why Barrick out of all the gold miners, but it is one of the industry giants. It merged with Rand Gold in 2018. It's got a 51 billion market cap. That's big enough for a fund like Berkshire to buy some shares and not cause tremendous volatility and not have a super huge position. So this position that they took was about a half a billion dollars and it's now 0.28% of the portfolio. So he didn't go crazy. He didn't add three gold miners this time. <laughs> like he does with the airlines or overweighted with the banks. It's just the one. He's getting some exposure. And that's the recommendation that if anyone is going into any kind of commodities is a good recommendation. You don't need to go all crazy. It should just be a small portion of your portfolio, but you are into the trade with you know, keeping it like that. So my advice on the gold miners is to pick one with good management, try to get one with lower debt. All the miners are going to have a lot of debt because they're mining. It's like the EMPs. Take takes a lot of money to extract these uh, commodities out of the ground. And um, so try to get one with the lower debt that goes towards good management. Good cash flows, a lot of them have that right now. And shareholder friendly, a lot of them are that right now as well. Uh, you don't need to buy those on the fringe. You don't need the super small gold miner with one mine somewhere. Uh, stick with the, the most obvious ones if you're going to get in it. Nothing wrong with having some commodity exposure in your portfolio. And if you're okay with that type of investing, some of you are not going to be because you don't want any kind of exposure to any kind of commodity miners or that industry. And that's fine too. You don't need to buy to buy any commodities in your portfolio if you don't want to. But Buffett now has, um, but interestingly, he did get rid of his pure play EMP in Occidental and added the gold miner instead. Let's recap what we learned from his moves on this podcast. Number one is don't be in the airlines right now. And this probably goes to also hotels, some of the restaurants. He did sell out of his one restaurant he owned QSR um, restaurants, Burger King and Popeyes. He owned a very small position in that now, but uh, decided to get out of that. So don't be in the airlines. It could take years for them to come back. He got out immediately. He didn't look back. And now he's redeployed into some other areas. Number two, are you overweighted in one area? That was true of the airlines. And he did basically get kind of burned by being overweight. Like he wasn't overweighted, but by being in four of them, yeah, took a loss on all of those. Um, but he is a little overweighted in the financials. So, you know, ask your reasons. Why are you owning in one area 20 or 30, 40, even 50% in one industry or sector? 
And I know a lot of you are super heavy into technology right now. So you might wanna look around and make sure you have at least diverse technologies. You have some in social media, you have some in semiconductors, you have some in hardware, you have some in software, you have some in AI, um, you know, and on and on. There are different areas of tech you could be in and get a little bit more diversification. And if you buy gold, remember, take a small position. There's no reason to own multiple gold miners. If you wanna do that, just buy the gold miner ETF, ticker GDX is the big gold miner ETF. That's the thing ETFs are made of. Heck, Warren Buffett could almost have owned just an ETF in the banks at one point, because that's basically what his portfolio was. It's like one big bank ETF. So that's not, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with using ETFs to get exposure and diversification in your portfolio. But again, there's no real reason for you to own multiple in the same exact industry. Um, try to be diverse. So this was an interesting quarter for him and the Berkshire Pro portfolio. I do look forward to him being on Squawk Box uh, soon, probably in the next couple months, he'll make an appearance over there and explaining you know, some more into what's happening. Apple continues to drive his portfolio and that's not necessarily a bad thing. They have not added to the Apple position, nor did they add to the Amazon position, which is very small um, in the overall portfolio. But, you know, he does have exposure to some of these hotter areas and he still has a ton of cash on hand. So what is he gonna do with all that cash? We don't know. That also sends a signal, right? That he's kind of still sitting on the sidelines waiting. The market sold off, it quickly rebounded. There wasn't much time to you know, try to take some big positions in there. Now we're back to all time highs. Stock market is not cheap here. Uh, knowing Warren Buffett and his investing techniques over all the years, he will be patient to add further um, and use and deploy that cash. I know it, it drives some people crazy, but patience uh, usually pays off for good investors. So let's recap the stocks we talked about again on this show. So he sold all of his airlines and they are American Airlines, AAL, Southwest, LUV, Delta, DAL, and United, UAL. He sold his restaurants, uh, QSR, and his EMP in Occidental, OXY. He also sold out completely of Goldman Sachs, GS. Then he bought Barrett Gold, G-O-L-D, is the only position he bought in the quarter. And he did reduce some of his other banks, uh, JP Morgan, JPM, Wells Fargo, WFC, Bank of New York, BK, uh, USB, USB, and M&T Bank, MTB. He still owns a big position in Bank of America. It's one of his biggest positions. BAC is the ticker there. So a lot going on out there and we'll see what happens uh, going forward here because it's a whole new world with stocks back at all time highs again. And it's hard, hard out there for us value investors, but there is still some value to be had because he's found it in a gold miner and there's other smaller cap stocks that do have value out there that maybe he can't get in that we can. So we're covering them here every week on the Value Investor Podcast. I'm bringing you stocks. So you don't want to miss a single episode. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. 
And we're also with the Market Edge, Zach's Market Edge on SoundCloud. But be sure to get us somewhere, and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identify I've described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.